So, Mark. Yes. You are planning a wedding. I am. <laughs> as far as I know, you are. I know, but we're keeping it casual still. Okay. that's. Fa- I, w- I will definitely want to hear more about that later. <laughs> Have I not talked about this running joke that our friend Marty started from about, like, two years in? She, at one point, just asked, you guys are keeping it casual still, right? <laughs> so now Nick and I are just casually getting married. Okay. So that just means that it's like a gym shorts kind of affair, right? Uh, Nick wishes. <laughs> Speaking of weddings, we were at a wedding last weekend and Nick had to wear a collared shirt for the first time in maybe a year. And I could see him tugging at it like all night. Like a little kid. Yeah, basically. One time when I was in college, I was just like doing laundry and I had really reached the end of my clothes. And so I was walking around in like a pair of gym shorts that I usually slept in. And... Apparently, my reputation for not exercising was so strong that multiple people stopped me seeing me in gym shorts and are like, what is going on with you? Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it could also just be your dazzling fashion sense that we'd all grown used to, seeing you in public only in the finest cargo shorts and patterned tees. (laughs) I think, honestly, what it was is people were dazzled by my knees. They just weren't used to seeing them quite so exposed. It was the first time you'd shown your knees off to the world, and you paid the price. I was like a Victorian ankle. Anyway, you had a question for me. Yes. Our guest is actually also on the cusp of marriage. I hope she is a lot further along (laughs) in the planning stages than I am. Me too. So anyway, Mark, I was wondering, as you think about your wedding, like, what is the dumbest wedding tradition? Like, what's the thing you're definitely not going to do? I think the dumbest wedding tradition by far, and it does not apply at all in this situation, is throwing the garter. Oh. I don't know if you've been to any wedding where that happens. Not or to my even knowledge. know what that is. But it is so gross. We talked about it a bunch on our Best Man episode. Because we ah, watched Terrence right. Howard like lick a foot in the process of taking the garter off. I hate I that so much. I forgot about this. It's so uncomfortable. I don't care for it. Ugh. It's so weirdly invasive, and it's not even like I'm opposed to showing skin or anything (laughs) like that. You were a fan of my knees. I was a big (laughs) fan of the knees, so it's not even that the bride's knees are shown for a moment. It's just so weird and personal to throw. A bouquet? Makes sense. A woman's undergarment thrown at the wedding? Feels less acceptable. Yeah, it's very strange. I don't know where it came from, but I think it's a thing we should not do. What is your least favorite wedding tradition? I mean, that is my number one. But I suspected that it's what you would think of, too. So one thing that struck me, in part because I was thinking about this movie that we watched, was the stupid way that people walk in a wedding. (laughs) You know how no human walks? Step one foot forward, then bring the other foot to it. Then step the other foot forward, and bring the other foot to it. You can just walk down an aisle. You can even walk slowly. So you can set a pace and people can, like, see fancy clothes. But you don't have to do this weird stilted thing. Like, you keep forgetting how to walk and they're like, oh, right, I've got it. But then you take one step and you're like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. I think it's silly. And also, I'd like to note that in this movie, despite all the time Kieran Culkin spends practicing that walk, he then does not do it down the aisle, nor does Diane Keaton. Because it's not a thing people actually do. There's no way to walk naturally like that. Right. Everyone just walks down the aisle, just a bit slower. Walk like a person, or if that fails, walk like an Egyptian. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow, are you saying Egyptians aren't people, Will? <laughs> I meant there's a different method of walking here. I think we should all just go back to doing dances down the aisle because that was such a cool and fun time. I don't like that either. Oh, no, I was being very sarcastic. Just making sure. What about the Love Actually thing where you have like a band secretly hidden amidst the congregation to start playing spontaneous Beatles songs as you walk down the aisle? That was also bad. My cousin has decided that the string quartet will be playing Your Love is My Drug as she walks down the aisle. (laughs) I dig it. So that's a good wedding tradition that I think we should all embrace. Fiona, what is your least favorite wedding tradition? And I feel like you have probably encountered all of them at this point. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, my main one is the garter toss. And I've been sitting here racking my brain trying to think of other things that I hated. Are you doing this something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue? I've, like, thought about it, but I don't think I'm going to. There's just, like, like I have blue stuff because it's my birthstone. So I have earrings that are sapphire, and I have a sapphire ring, but, like... And she'll be there, so that's something old. No, I have our great-grandmother's pearls that I'm wearing that are old. Thank you very much. I mean, something new, the dress, my shoes. It's the something borrowed, and I was going to borrow a veil... But I think I might not wear a veil. That's something that's not necessary. I think they're pretty, but I think the reason they started is patriarchal and not necessary. I could lend you one of the hats from the Easter Parade episode. Oh, I think they don't fit my head. Like the unicorn one or the the fedora or the marching band hat? I was going to offer a serious suggestion. Just say, can't you borrow your mom's bracelet or something? Oh, I, I think could. that's what my sister did. Yeah. So another thing that I hate, hate, hate about weddings, and this is not at every wedding, but I really hate Cotton Eye Joe. It's a racist song. It's also the worst. And it just pops up all the time. And I hate it so much. I'm pretty sure it's also Swedish, which somehow makes it even worse. Like the lyrics are something about like black people being lazy or something. Oh, I thought it was about an STD. Either way, you don't want it at your wedding. Yeah. I think the one we know is, like, made by a Swedish band or something. Maybe I'm thinking of another wedding dance, but there's one Southern song where someone was like, yeah, this band's actually Swedish, and I was not. It was very thrown off. Well, I can assure you, we will not be doing a garter toss. Right now, can you tell us uh, one song that you will be doing at your wedding and one song that you will not be doing? Okay, I, I have had multiple people request this. And I am going to do everything I can possible in order to make it happen. Okay, just for context for you, this episode will drop the Monday before your wedding. Okay, so I'm not on the cusp then. I am married as of this. No. Yeah, okay. No, it, it drops before your wedding. You are not married. Oh, I thought you Very said the Monday after. Very much on the cusp though. No, the, the Monday, Monday before. before. Okay, I'm on the cusp. Okay. I would really like Miracles Happen from Princess Diaries to be played. And... Uh, I'll actually give a shout out to one of your listeners. Our uncle has promised to juggle pairs if that song is played at the wedding. Oh. So shout out to you. So I would love for that to be played. One song that I will not allow to be played is, as stated, the Cotton Eye Joe. Um, I've also had a couple requests for some Christmas music, and I'm not really sure I'm feeling that in August. So you will not keep Christmas with you all through the year? Oh, I do, just not in song. I don't know. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Okay. What do you think is the weirdest song I could request that I could potentially get a DJ to play? 
Nick suggested that I should request Running Up That Hill, parentheses, A Deal With God by Kate Bush at the wedding we were at. And I really wanted to, but I decided against it. And I don't think it would have been played. Um, Our grandmother has requested The Chicken Dance, which I thought was a unique request for her. Isn't that a thing at most weddings? I've done The Chicken Dance. Oh, I have not. I've definitely not done wedding, The Chicken Dance no. at a wedding. Not since like second grade gym class or something. That is such a weird American tradition. Yeah. The chicken dance or dance in P.E.? Dance in P.E. The chicken dance, also kind of odd. Um, some other song requests we've received are Who Let the Dogs Out? Who? 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 I also received song by song individually the entire Princess Diaries soundtrack from our same uncle who's going to juggle pairs. And then I received Muskrat Love by multiple people. I assume there will be an hour set aside for just the Shrek soundtrack from start to finish. Uh, If Colin has anything to say about it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of wedding stuff for you both to dig into. And I thought that Father of the Bride, uh, our movie this week, would give us the opportunity to dig into that. So I think we should probably get started. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing our world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, as we said, on the cusp of her marriage, hashtag Fifi Fierce returns to the podcast to talk about Nancy Myers and Charles Shire's 1991 remake of Father of the Bride. Hello! Now, I did not know this was a remake, and I think that also is a good way of saying I did not know much about this movie before we watched it. Agreed. Okay, so none of us had seen this movie before. No, I had Correct. not. It is a remake, which I did know before I watched it. It's based on a Spencer Tracy movie from 1950, which I do think makes a lot of sense. Like, you can very easily see Spencer Tracy in the Steve Martin role as sort of the, the gruff patriarch. A lot more voiceover than I was expecting. Yes. And actually, the screenwriters of the 1950 original, Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, who we've talked about many times, are actually also credited screenwriters on this movie, not because they worked on it, just because the screenplays are so similar. Hmm. The arcs of these movies are pretty darn close. I would say one of the most significant changes is that Annie is not the daughter's name in the original, but is in this one. And that's noteworthy to me because it was... Like, last week that I discovered Annie is the name of one of Myers and Shire's children. And Mark, you know the name of their filmmaker daughter. Uh, no. (laughs) I know the movie director of Home Again. Is Hallie Myers Shire. Hallie Myers. Wait, isn't that actually just both of the twins' names in Parrot Trap? Yes! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh, I can't believe that! I can't believe we didn't know that. We did an episode on the Parrot Trap two or three years ago. Did we not bring up that that was just their daughter's names? No! That's weird. It's also weird. I went back and checked. Not mentioned on the Wikipedia page anywhere, which is always where my research begins. That's crazy. There wasn't a Hallie in this movie, though. No, but Annie Myers Shire and Hallie Myers Shire both appear in this movie because they are the flower girls at the wedding. Oh. How do you think they picked which daughter would be name-dropped in this one? That is a great question. I feel like if I was Hallie, I'd be upset. Well, maybe they have another movie where there's a Hallie. 
I mean, my girlfriend and I have been watching our way through the Nancy Myers canon, starting with the screenplays that she wrote with Charles Shire. So we watched like Private Benjamin and Irreconcilable Differences. And we just watched Baby Boom like a couple of days ago. And that one is dedicated to Annie Myers Shire, which is how we started putting this together. We're like, wait a minute. They have a daughter named Annie. We know they have a daughter named Hallie. This is so bizarre. It's an earth-shattering revelation for me, at least. I can't believe we didn't know this. Fiona, I can't believe you didn't know this. I did not realize that this was a Nancy Myers movie, and I have never heard the name Charles Shire until tonight. Okay. So Didn't we talk about him with the pear trap, or was I'm he not sure involved that we did. in that one? Maybe, but I probably just ignored it. So, okay, let's talk about this a little bit. <laughs> Father of the Bride, 1991, is written by Nancy Myers, who we've discussed before on The Parent Trap and The Holiday, which she also directed. This movie is co-written with her then-husband, Charles Shire. The two of them had been writing partners. They got an Oscar nomination for Private Benjamin, the movie where Goldie Hawn enlists in the army. And then Shire started directing movies, things like Irreconcilable Differences and Baby Boom, which she co-wrote with Nancy Myers and on which she served as a producer. So it's very much a creative partnership, but they're making the, these movies together. He's the director, but she has a strong creative input. And I think you watch these movies like Father of the Bride or, or Baby Boom or these others, there's a clear thematic link to the movies that she directs later on. So they eventually get divorced during the production of The Parent Trap, which Shire also produces. After that, they go their separate ways. Nancy Myers builds on her directing career with What Women Want and Something's Gotta Give and The Holiday, It's Complicated, all those movies. Shire has only made two movies since they split up, The Affair of the Necklace and Alfie, which was in like 2004. So since the divorce, Nancy Myers has been the more creatively active of the two. I'm surprised that he hasn't tried harder. (laughs) Is almost what it sounds like. Because he had enough goodwill that I feel like he could have I don't know, I haven't seen Affair of the Necklace or Alfie, so he may have just not done well without her. I know Alfie was kind of a flop. I don't know much about the Affair of the Necklace. It is the kind of thing where, you know, I've been watching these these ones that they wrote together, mostly directed by Charles Shire, and I have been really struck by how much thematic overlap there is between them and the just Nancy Myers movies. It's the kind of thing of, you know, I, I, again, I have not seen Charles Shire's movies from when he worked alone, but that thing of, when a creative partnership splits up and you have the kind of like, oh, we're seeing like who had the real sort of creative impulses in this pair. Right. And I mean, this feels like a Nancy Myers movie, even though she's not the director. Absolutely. It's got her fingerprints all over it, including just the presence of Diane Keaton, who's also in Baby Boom, of course, Father of the Bride Part 2, and Something's Gotta Give. I feel like this is the least Diane Keaton, Diane Keaton role I've seen in a while. I was struck by that. I feel like I I have a strong sense of, like, Diane Keaton in the 70s. Like, you know, when she's in The Godfather and Annie Hall and all that. And, like, Diane Keaton in the 2000s. But this window of, like, middle-aged Diane Keaton is kind of new to me. Of just nice mom Diane Keaton. Yeah, I didn't even really recognize her. Well, she doesn't have a big hat is the problem. Ah, well, you should have lent her one. I'm out here trying. (laughs) She doesn't have her traditional Keaton garb on that she wears in other Nancy Myers. Well, I guess in Something's Gotta Give. 
Yeah, but there is a there's a Nancy Myers uniform, the sort of big light colored sweater, like a white or a cream kind of sweater with a bit of a turtleneck to it. Looks very cozy. Yeah, the uniform is not present in this, I'd say. No. She's dressed very much like just a 90s mom. I hope she's wearing more comfortable clothes in Father of the Bride Part 2, because the premise of that one is that Annie and Diane Keaton, whatever her name is, uh, that they both get pregnant. And so Steve Martin has to deal with a pregnant daughter and wife because the son-in-law has to like go to Japan on business. Yeah, they really spaced out their kids there. Yeah, that sounds bad. <laughs> well, some of this movie's abundant voiceover informs us that Kieran Culkin was not a planned child. So they didn't plan to have two children with such an age gap. And then they did it again. Yeah. Yes, apparently. So wait, this is their fourth kid. Because wasn't there like a young daughter that was in one scene and barely mentioned? No. I don't think so. Maybe that was like a flashback. I swear there's a little girl. They at did some keep point. doing flashbacks. Yeah, that was that was Annie as a kid. Okay. I got a little lost at times. I stopped. You were distracted by all times. the commercials for exciting new reality shows on yeah. TBS. I got way too invested. Anything good? Probably not. It's a TBS reality show. <laughs> the only one I remember an ad for was Celebrity Show Off, which was an ad for like a Zoom TV show that just had different celebrities like calling in to like show off a talent of theirs. I, I wouldn't watch that. That sounds so bad. I'll watch yeah. bad TV. I would not watch that. Speaking of Zoomy kind of stuff, we should mention that in addition to Father of the Bride Part 2, Last year, there was a Father of the Bride Part 3-ish that was a Zoom production reuniting the cast directed by Nancy Myers. that I believe was distributed by Netflix. Is it still on Netflix? I assume so. Is it about the granddaughter getting married? I, possibly. I don't know. I think it's just them like sitting around catching up during the pandemic. And so you get to hear them talk about what's going on in the world. They would have to do quite a age up of the daughter for her yeah. to be at marriage age. Yeah. I, speaking of age, Annie is supposedly finishing architecture school at 22, a grad student? Okay, I when missed- When did she graduate undergrad? Well, I missed the fact that it was architecture school, and the whole time I'm sitting there like, she studied abroad. Nobody does that their last semester. What, she's just going to get married in the middle of college? I mean, for starters, there are people who do that, and more people the further back in time you go. Yeah, but still. Maybe it's like a one-year grad program. That's plausible. Oh, Not like one of those five-year total programs? Yeah. Not for architecture. You have to know enough for a building not to collapse. I don't trust anyone that only studied for a year to design a building that won't collapse. Well, they didn't ask you. Apparently, she knows what she's doing. Well, we don't guess. know. She doesn't have a job yet. <laughs> that is true. I was just so confused because she looked so young. But then they said she was a grad student. So I get—I was like, I guess she's like a young 24 or 25. Because I think architecture master's programs are at least two years. I was impressed that they cast someone who looked that young. Like, yes. you really yeah. do have the sense watching her. And the movie needs this. You really need to feel like, oh, she's a kid. Like an adult, but like her brain is not fully developed. Oh, her absolutely. Prefrontal not. cortex is not fully developed, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This, by the way, is Kimberly Williams' feature debut. It's the first movie she's ever in. Her only credit at all before this movie is an ABC after school special called Stood Up about a girl who sues her prom date for not showing up Whoa. to the dance. 
Is that icon. could you could you legally do you have legal standing for that? Well, you're in luck because I read about <laughs> stood up, and I mean the short answer is no. But she gets this lawsuit rolling. Uh, by the way, Kimberly Williams does not play the lead. She's like some friend character in it. So this, being Annie in this is a big introduction for her. Anyway, so the girl in Stood Up sues her date. It's like going to court. It's obviously the talk of the town, the talk of the school. And this is obviously a bad idea for her because it's going to make her look really bad. And also she's going to be seen as a fool. And so then one of her teachers who is played by uh, the guy who played Elvin on the Cosby show, he convinces her instead of doing a courtroom lawsuit, you should just have a trial here at school (laughs) adjudicated by people at the school. And that's how we'll decide if he owes you. And what happens? Uh, That I did not find out. Maybe we need to watch it. Fiona. Yes. Fun update I just learned. Her current name is Kimberly Williams Paisley, and she has been married to musician Brad Paisley since 2003. How old is she? She's 49. Oh, okay. He's probably about that, right? I mean, she was probably conceivably 22 in 1991. Yeah. He's 48. 1991 was 30 years ago, so... Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, other reference to Kimberly Williams, she was the English language dub of Theo in Porco Rosso, another movie we talked about on this podcast. Uh, a good movie. A great movie. What did you think of this movie? Just overall, I am curious. I thought it was pretty fun. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I don't think it's the best of the like Myers Shire movies. I think Private Benjamin pretty much rules, and you know that was borne out in its Oscar nomination for a screenplay. But, yeah, I mean, this movie leans heavily on voiceover that is almost entirely unnecessary. I, whenever I'm watching a movie he's in, I always appreciate Martin Short's effort, but I do not always enjoy it. <laughs> but but overall, I think this is, like, a pretty sweet, pretty funny family comedy. Yeah, I, so I will say, I think this is, of all of the movies... Well, I don't know. Of all of the movies that I've done for your podcast, I think this one is the one that had, like, the least amount of material for five romance points for me. Yes. So I was watching the movie and I was like, this is new. This is a little bit stressful. How am I going to find enough material for a point zero? This is ridiculous. So I, I did enjoy the movie, though, but I think I would like to watch it again, not needing to look at it from a certain perspective. Oh, this podcast has broken my brain. Anytime I watch any especially like rom-com or something, my brain is plugging away as I'm watching it. Even if I'm like in a movie theater, like, all right, that's where you cut off for the next point. That's where you cut off for the next point. Yeah. It really took me out of the experience of seeing Finding You, the movie about the girl who goes to Ireland and (laughs) and falls in love with uh, an American TV star. Oh my God. I thought the voiceover and basically the reliance on Steve Martin detracted from the movie a lot for me none of the other characters felt fleshed out enough i agree because the entire movie is his perspective right like frank is probably not as outrageous in reality as we see him here because we are seeing everything through steve martin's perspective which i think is what the voiceover is supposed to accomplish but i think that too often it's not adding anything that we can't already see on screen I was kind of expecting to feel more put off by the whole father of the bride vibe than I was, but I thought it was, it had its moments for me, but overall, I just 
kept losing interest, and I think the voiceover was a big part of that, because it almost felt like an audiobook at times, where I was just listening to Steve Martin narrating the story. Yeah, I could see that. And I think it's unfortunate that the movie leans on that voiceover so much, because a lot of its strongest moments are just visuals of the performances. You know, every time there's a joint reaction shot of Diane Keaton and Steve Martin, the, the two of them reacting to the same thing, it's always hilarious. Whatever it is that's going on, like when they're hearing the story of how Annie and Brian got engaged, Steve Martin just has this like horrified look in his face. Diane Keaton is all in. Anytime they go to that shot throughout the movie, it rules. And I think that kind of impulse, get out of the way, you know, let the actors, let the images tell the story, the movie really works. So I also had a a little issue because Steve Martin's character is George Banks, and I could not disassociate from Mary Poppins the entire movie. I was shocked that they just straight up went with George Banks as the name. Yeah. It is one of the most iconic names in film. Right. It is such a distracting name. Every time they say George Banks, I'm just like, I am thrown off. So do you think they did it on purpose? I think probably. They had to have known. To like draw a parallel or to be able to contrast between the two of them? I think probably to draw a parallel. Yeah. Both of these movies are about, both of those movies strongly feature, I mean, Mary Poppins isn't about him, but they're both involving fathers who sort of are so wrapped up in their perception of things that they lose track of their relationships with their children. Yeah. Right. So I think there is like a, a character connection there. The name that was distracting to me in this movie was George's company Sidekicks, which just made me think of the phone. Ooh, I forgot. I know about he those said phones. Sidekicks, and I assumed he was talking about the phone because my perception of time is very warped. Till I remembered, phones barely existed in two thousand or er, nineteen ninety one. Also, I meant right. cell phones. Alexander Graham Bell had not been born yet. <laughs> I did mean cell phones. I said phones. I am aware that the phone was invented in the 1800s. Glad to hear that, Mark. The movie was a hit upon its release. It made $89 million against a $30 million budget. It was released by Touchstone Pictures, which was the live-action, largely comedy division of Disney. We've talked about it a bunch on this podcast. It was a Christmas release. It opened on December 20th, 1991, in second place behind Steven Spielberg's Hook, ahead of The Last Boy Scout. Star Trek IV, JFK, and Beauty and the Beast. Suzanne was only one month old. Just a fun fact about my sister. That's nice. Um, In addition to that, the movie got a little bit of awards attention from some of the kinds of groups we we highlight on this show. Uh, Kieran Culkin was nominated for a Young Artist Award, but lost to Jimmy Workman, who played Pugsley in The Addams Family. And at the first MTV Movie Awards... Kimberly Williams was nominated for Breakthrough Performance and lost to Edward Furlong for Terminator 2. And Steve Martin was nominated for Best Comedic Performance but lost to Billy Crystal in City Slickers. I love City Slickers. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Yeah. But Will, I have to ask, was it nominated for an AARP Movies for Grownups Award? Mark, I am rolling my eyes at you because, as you should well know by now, the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards started in 2002, honoring films of the year 2001, so Father of the Bride predates that award ceremony. They didn't retroactively give awards to any films? Look, I would love if AARP followed the Hugo Awards model and every year gave out 
awards for that year and retro AARP awards for a year, a certain number of decades in the past. Like the Hugo Awards do that, where they'll be like, all right, these are the Hugos for 1921 and 1941, because the award didn't exist then. I'd be delighted if AARP did that. I have recently been going on trips to libraries, trying to track down those single years of nominees and winners that I have asked our listeners to send me. Our listeners have failed. My attempts to contact AARP have failed. The public libraries have failed me. But eBay came through, (laughs) and I have several issues of AARP the magazine on the way to my home which will help me finally complete the Wikipedia pages for all of the awards. I think you deserve an honorary AARP membership. I'm glad you found a hobby. I want one of the trophies, like one of the old ones, when it was shaped like a little golden movie chair. I think you should apply for membership anyway, and just add in this note. Yes, I am not 50, but here is why I deserve membership. No one has ever cared as much as I have. You can apply. I saw this guy on TikTok who, like, shows his travel hacks, and he is a member of AARP, and he's in his late 30s, and he I just, like- I looked that up, and it's a lie. Is it really? Yeah. I checked, and their website says you have to be 50 to join. Ugh. We should report him. Spreading false information. Anyway, if any of our listeners know people at AARP the magazine, I deserve something, and I would, like- I would like my work to be rewarded. That said, would you like knowing, a cookie cake? A cookie cake would be great. Um, <laughs> knowing off the top of my head when I see a movie, whether or not it was nominated for like best grown-up love story, is is good enough. <laughs> Reward in and of itself. That's right. Also, I would like to. While I'm on this soapbox, um, there are a bunch of hacks who nominated. I think three different women for Best Actress or Best Supporting Actress, who were not yet 50. So as far as I'm concerned, their awards are meaningless. What is the... Is it just that the character is supposed to be 50, or are they just throwing the rules out the window? The rules are sometimes out the window. They nominated The Painted Veil for Best Grown-Up Love Story, and both the people in that are in their 30s. That's I guess not grown-up. I feel like they have a weird definition of grown-up. I agree. Like, I'll let it slide on, like, J. Edgar. Like, they nominated Army Hammer when he was, like, 25. But he does a lot of old-age makeup work in that movie. I think that the actor should be required to be eligible for an AARP membership in order to win an award. Look, I agree with you. And I'm saying maybe what they need is some, like, fresh-faced new individual who cares a lot about the awards to provide some insight on... The nominations and uh, the winners. Uh, what the people want. That's right. You're a true representative of what their people want. I think I represent the people who care deeply about the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. Because you are the only one. My real concern is that like, I am now deeply invested in these Wikipedia pages. But because none of the cowards at America's broadcast <laughs> networks will air the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards live, I have to wait for PBS to put it on a month later... Which means every year I avoid spoilers about the winners of the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards for four weeks. But that's time when I should be updating the Wikipedia page. I'm not doing my public service. It's a tough life you live, Will. It's hard. It's hard to be a public servant. All right. Uh, Should we start talking about the romance of this movie? Uh, Last thing before we go. Obviously, there's a sequel, Father of the Bride Part 2. I mentioned that earlier. A remake is currently in the works. It's actually shooting right now as we record. It's for Warner Brothers. It features a Hispanic family, I believe specifically a Cuban-American family. 
It stars Andy Garcia as the patriarch, and the plan is to release it on HBO Max next year. Huh? Is this a remake of Father of the Bride or Father of the Bride 2? It is a remake of Father of the Bride. Is it okay. a remake of Father of the Bride 1991 or the original Father of the Bride? Or is it too similar to choose either? I think it is mostly too similar to really draw a line between them. Again, Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett. Their screenplay is so similar to the 91 that they have a screenplay credit, not just a story credit. <laughs> uh, fair. You know, we've been shouting out all these things like Father of the Bride Part 2. There is also a sequel to the original Father of the Bride called Father's Little Dividend, which is also about a grandchild being born. What about a third child, though? Or is it just a grandchild? I think it's just a grandchild. Okay. But I think that we as a society should maybe adopt the policy of referring to grandchildren as little dividends. That is so weird. I'm uncomfortable with that. Ugh. Well, I, I will, I'll speak with your husband about it and see how he feels. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> Especially because Colin would probably entertain it. Yes! It's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So every week on this podcast, we break down the romantic plot of the film into five points. This week, Fiona, as our guest, will you bring us to point zero? Oh my gosh. No, I don't have a point zero this <gasps> time. I was certain there was going to be. Watching the movie, I clocked it. I was like, ah, oh, that's the point zero. It would make sense. Yeah, I, I know exactly like what you're talking about. And then I just... There weren't five points then, so... <laughs> there, there wasn't enough romance otherwise. Exactly. So, point one, I like to call Roman romance. I don't Boo. even know if she was in Rome. Oh, you don't like my alliteration? Well, we, we started seeing each other a lot. And um, we fell in love. <laughs> it actually happened. And uh, we've decided to get married, which means that what? I'm engaged. <laughs> I'm engaged. I'm getting married. <laughs> so basically, Annie is coming home from studying abroad in Italy, and they're at dinner, and she's kind of, she's a little, she's acting a little bit weird. But clearly excited. Yeah. And they ask what's going on, and she announces that there is this guy in her life, but not only is there a guy in her life, she's actually engaged, and she's getting married. So she's engaged to this man she met in Italy. They've never met him. She met him at a movie theater. It was a midnight screening of Bringing Up Baby. Yeah. And they both kept laughing at the same parts of the movie, which is just like, ugh, what a sign. And then at the end of the movie, he goes up and asks her for directions, which I have to like, you know what? Good on him that he hears this girl laugh and realizes they have the same sense of humor and goes to like try to talk to her. He probably couldn't see what she looks like because the movie theater is probably dark. So we know he's not shallow. I mean, he could have not called her again yeah true fine anyways so he goes up and asks her for directions and then kind of the rest is history and so now they're back in the states he happens to also be from pretty close by i think annie is from did they say santa barbara and he's from la they're from san marino california and he's oh, san from marino. bel-air Okay, I was way so, off. So, two of the richest zip codes <laughs> in the entire country. Right, but Steve Martin spends a lot of time going on about, like, oh, these rich people that she's marrying into. And he, like, makes jokes about, like, how big their house is. And I'm like, your house is huge. Yeah, I loved 
their house, the Banks' house. But like, there's the count about like, my whole house would fit in their foyer. It's like, first of all, no, it would not. Second of all, your house is huge. The description of San Marino as this small town feel where everyone still smiles at each other. I read the Wikipedia page and that is very much not the vibe I was getting (laughs) from the description of the first sentence being one of the wealthiest zip codes in the country. Yeah, I doubt. I doubt it's so small towny. I'm just saying all the people who work at Sidekicks probably aren't living in the same neighborhood as Steve Martin. Oh, probably not. So uh, so the other thing, too, is so she announces she's getting engaged and then she's just like, oh, by the way, he's coming over. He'll be here in an hour, which rude. You should ask permission to have people over to your parents' house. Especially at like eight o'clock at night. I know. I know. It was bedtime. I, I really thought that like by the time he got there, I thought it was like 11 p.m. And I was like, oh, wait, they're leaving. Where are they going? I mean, it's like it's quite dark out. Yeah. I have to say one thing to this movie's credit that actually happens this early around this point is they're not actually that concerned or judgmental about her seemingly having sex with him. Yes. Like Steve Martin gives advice, like fasten your condom. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he did. But he doesn't like the PDA and that he's touching her in public. But as soon as Diane Keaton reminds Steve Martin that they hooked up all around her parents' house, they never really bring up sex again that much throughout the movie. No, and there are actually references to like him spending the night and stuff like that. I did feel like the PDA was like a little bit much. In it was front of too other much. I it was. I think Steve Martin did a great job of reacting to it, though. Like, you got some real comedy there. Yes. For sure. That hand was a little high up on the knee for a first meeting with the parents. Yeah, and when he first walked in, she was kind of, like, nuzzling his neck. And I'm like, just calm down for a second. I think one of the reasons the movie works for me is that as much as we see a lot of it from George Banks's perspective, the movie very clearly thinks he is wrong for its entirety. Yes, I did appreciate that about the movie. And kind of the whole point of the movie is like, he needs to chill out and just focus on like having a nice relationship with his family. Yeah, at the end of the day, the movie is basically saying the father of the bride is wrong to feel that he is losing his daughter and that you should instead focus on having a good relationship even after they get married. And I think that is where, like, you know, the worst version of this movie is something like Why Him? Uh, That movie with, I think, Brian Cranston and James Franco, where the daughter brings home this, like, just weird dude, and the father spends a lot of time going, you know, Why Him? Trying to end this terrible romance so that he can get this bad guy out of his life. But in this movie... Like we said, he's not the hero. And so when George is like reacting frustratedly to all the things that are going on, the movie is inviting us to laugh at him. That he is obviously ridiculous. I do have to say, I was on his side about the cost throughout the entire film. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't believe Diane Keaton at one point was like, just calm down about the price. Relax. $250 a head is a lot for a wedding now. I can't even imagine okay. what that That's, is. It's a $150,000 wedding. And because they're having like over 500 people at this wedding. Yeah, they had 500 people at their house and somehow it was still $250 a head. That is absurd. There's no economies of scale there either. At a certain point, the more people you invite, in theory, you should start reducing costs. Right, because you're buying stuff in bulk. It's the Costco model. 
Not when Frank is planning your wedding. What is like the Kirkland signature version of Frank? Like, can you get that? Instead of swans, it's just geese. Yeah, painted white. <laughs> Look, equally angry birds. I would not want a swan at my wedding because that They're thing mean. will take your arm off. Yeah, swans are not nice at all. Wait, speaking of like creatures at weddings, I saw someone posted this thing about attending a wedding where when they arrived, they were all handed an envelope that said like, hold on to this and open at the end for a surprise. Did it say dead dove do not open? No. So they all like folded the envelope, put it in their pocket. And at the end, they were like, okay, open the envelope. And it was supposed to be this large release of butterflies, but everyone folded the envelope. So all the butterflies had been folded and killed. <laughs> and it was all dead butter. It was all That's dead amazing. butterflies. Do that either. That's amazing. How did they expect that to work? I don't know. There are a lot of dumb people out there. They're fragile, fragile little bugs. Yeah, you're not supposed to touch their wings. Like, step one, put them in, like, a little box. Ugh. Not an envelope. Stupid people. Hard sides only. I think Sparklers has been my favorite of the the couple leaving the wedding celebration. A lot of places don't allow them, though. Yeah, the one I went to this weekend was the first where they did allow them, and it was quite fun passing the fire down the line. Nice. They are fun, but they make me nervous. So where are we in the romance? Uh, Well, that was point Uh, one. Yes. So point two, I have called the curse of the disappearing fiance because we don't see Brian basically for maybe a half hour. Maybe longer. Yeah. Uh, What a nerve-wracking thing, meeting your future in-laws. What a relief you two look perfectly normal. Oh, well, I am. (laughs) I have to tell you, we got so nervous about today, about meeting the two of you. I, I must have tried on three different outfits. Oh. I changed my shirt four times. <laughs> Can you imagine anyone being that jerky? Oh, no. This is when they start planning the wedding, and basically Brian is a non-entity at this point. We do see him stop by for dinner and basketball every once in a while, but that is it. And so this is when we meet Frank, and he's the crazy wedding planner. Who, by the way, he is based on a specific person. Are you serious? Like a real wedding planner from Southern California who successfully identified himself as the inspiration and was cool with it. Oh, cool. Um, Speaking of the cost, we talked about like the actual cost itself, but the fact that Brian's parents sent Annie's parents a list of all the out-of-town relatives so that Annie's parents could buy their flights? Crazy. That was insane. Relatives pay for their own flights. You don't even expect the father... Of the groom to pay or your uncle or whatever. Especially, right. Like, I like, don't think that's ever been a tradition, right? Cross-country plus cross-continent flights. I don't, like, did they make that up for this movie? I that was no by far the most insane part of the whole process. Yeah, yeah. They're living in Southern California. They're flying in relatives from Denmark. And Steve Martin is informed, like, you're on the hook for this. Absurd. Especially since Brian's family, like, they're both wealthy, but Brian's family is clearly richer than Annie's family. I like it when he starts demanding that they pare down the guest list and gets excited that he remembers somebody has died. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I also did enjoy how they were trying to pare it down and he was so reluctant to cut anyone. Yeah. It was like a business partner he hadn't talked to in years. Right. And he did not want to cut him off the list. Yeah. 
I don't know about that. But anyway, so this is also then when the parents all get together for lunch at Brian's parents' like medieval castle of a house. And George goes snooping around and he finds their bank ledger and jumps out the window and drops the bank ledger. Because he has to escape from the dog. Yeah, he jumps in the pool. He drops it in the pool. And then we also see the... There's like a pretty long montage of gifts being delivered and them like seeing what they've gotten and then George or Brian's parents give them a car and George had bought them a little cappuccino machine which Annie's actually really excited about but next to the car looks kind of sad I also really enjoyed Eugene Levy auditioning to be the singer at the wedding yeah uh very fun yeah he is in Father of the Bride Part 2 in a different character okay but I liked him, you know, riffing, adapting songs to be about Annie and Brian. Yep. And I think he got like a special thanks in the credits. Oh, I don't think I noticed that, but that's cool. a special thanks or a special appearance by Eugene so, like, Levy. The other thing too, for the price of this wedding, you also would think it's cheaper since they're having it at their own house. You would think. You would think that would but be a cost saving method. You need storage for all of their furniture. That's true. Yeah. The swans, I think, also really added up. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's all I had for point two, where Brian disappears. Okay. So uh, what's point three? Point three I called the worm. And this is when Annie and Brian call off the wedding. I didn't want to act thrown or anything, but inside I was. I mean, I thought something for the apartment. Maybe, maybe a new clock or a cool phone or a great art book or something, but a blender? I mean, what is this, 1958, to give the little wife a blender? I mean, it scared me, you know, in terms of his expectations. I got really excited when this happened because I was like, oh my gosh, some actual romance drama I can talk about. I'm happy for you. Yeah. So Annie comes in and she's crying and George is like, what's going on? And it's their eight month anniversary, apparently. But the gift that Brian gave Annie was a blender. And my first thought was, A, it's your eight month anniversary. Why are you exchanging gifts? B, if your wedding is imminent, why are you celebrating your eight month anniversary? That is like small potatoes compared to what is coming up. And see, a blender is one of the most stereotypical wedding gifts out there. Right, so why would you give it to your fiancé as a gift? But anyways, Annie was very upset about the blender because she viewed it as, like, a symbol of the patriarchy and how he was putting her in her place in the kitchen. So she is upset about that. And then in their argument, Brian accuses George of having snooped around his parents' house and finding the bank ledger and everything. And Annie calls him a liar and also calls him a worm, which I felt like was just an indicator of how young and immature she is. Again, frontal lobe, not fully developed. Yeah. Have you guys ever called anyone a worm? Not in my memory, but maybe in like elementary school. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's something I've- If you're not saying sniveling worm, there's no point in calling anyone a worm. <laughs> but a sniveling worm is very cutting. Okay, that's true. That's true. So, so yeah, so they are calling off the wedding. It's not happening anymore. And that is my point three. So, so wait, this is a separate point from then when Steve Martin goes to the bar to try to patch things up. Yeah, that's point four. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. guessing based off of Bar Buddies <laughs> being the name of point four, I figured that's what would happen. Yeah, I, I had not it, looked at the list. I called it Bar Buddies. You know, Brian, Annie's a very passionate person, and passionate people tend to overreact at times. 
and he comes from a long line of major overreactors. Me, I can definitely lose it. My mother, a nut. My grandfather, stories about him were legendary. The good news, however, is that this overreacting tends to get proportionally less by generation. So your kids could be normal. <laughs> so so George is like, okay, well, A, he knows that Brian's telling the truth about snooping around the house. So he's got to try to rectify the situation. So he takes Brian out to get a drink and they sit at the bar and they both kind of just talk about how great Annie is and how important she is to both of them. And Brian decides he's going to go back and try to reconcile and call the wedding back on. So this is when she apologizes for calling him a worm. And then she kind of starts packing up her room. And I thought this was interesting when she informs us all that George taught her to never throw anything away. So it sounds like she's got a lot of packing to do. And she talks about she's outside playing basketball in the middle of the night. And she talks about how she's excited to get married, but also sad to leave home. There's a lot of like midnight basketball. It's very Space Jam. Yeah. I haven't seen Space Jam in forever. It is on Hulu. It is not long. So oh. there, there is that. Okay. It is a very particular artifact. Yeah. There's just a lot of basketball in general in this movie. It's the 90s. Uh, that's true. It gave me more high school musical flashbacks than Space Jam. But that's usually day basketball, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. But some angsty... Angsty emotional basketball. It's cheaper to film day basketball than night basketball. True. Um, Speaking of High School Musical, though, the three of us need to figure out when we can cover High School Musical 3 because we were supposed to do it when Mark graduated from grad school, but then that (gasps) happened during a pandemic. Oh, yeah, and I never actually had a graduation. Anytime I'm down to do it, just let me know. Yeah, I got to keep that one in our noggins. And Mark, if you want me to throw you a graduation, I will write a speech. And sing the song for you. If you sing We're All in This Together, I will host every person I know to gather together for a fake graduation party. It's on. It's happening. All right. So I think we're now at point five. We are. For a movie called Father of the Bride, there's not a ton of romance to it. No, No, it's about about the the father-daughter relationship. Yeah. You'd think that the fiance would be in it for more than like 10 minutes. They didn't call it husband of the bride. (laughs) So yeah. So point five is the wedding. Annie and Brian, you have come here today to join your hands. Who presents this woman? This woman. This vow of marriage is most solemn. But she's not a woman. She's just a kid. And she's leaving us. They have the wedding. They, They go to the church. They get married. And then they have 572 people over to their house. It turned out to be a beautiful day, but it did snow at first in the morning and they had to That's okay. Like all the snow melted in time for the wedding. Which is crazy. And because they showed Frank like shoveling the walkway up to the house. And I was like, you probably could have just let it melt because it melted everywhere else. So then they go back to the house. They've got the 572 people over at the house. And George He spends the whole wedding trying to have a moment with Annie. He doesn't get to dance with her. And then he gets told that the police are there and they have too many cars parked on their street. These cars are not parked on the street. Like they have filled the entire street with four lanes of parked cars. It is a parking lot. So George and his son and then another young child move all of the cars. Maddie's friend who didn't eat a meal to save money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So through all of this, George misses everything at the wedding. He tries to find a little shortcut to go watch her toss her bouquet. He misses that. 
And Annie and Brian leave for their Hawaiian honeymoon. And they seem to be happy. And they call from the airport. And that's kind of it. Yeah. So, uh, there you go. Fiona, do you think the romance of Father of the Bride is believable? I just, I have to say no, because they didn't develop Brian at all. So he's basically like a mannequin. All we know is he's bland and rich. Yeah, he does, like, software or something. But he did laugh at all the right parts of bringing up baby. He did, and he seems to really love Annie, but, like, they've only known each other for eight months, and they're already married? Well, no, they've known each other for eight months, and they get married at some point later than that, right? I guess that's true. Do we know the timeline? Not that much later, though. What's the timeline of the movie? I think they're So, the movie is, like, six months. It is six months? Okay. Yeah. It just feels like they're both too young and too clueless. And those prefrontal cortexes need a bit more work. Yeah, they rushed in a little bit. I'm not saying they'll get a divorce, but I just don't think this is realistic. I mean, I think on on some level, to a certain extent, it is just in that, you know, 1991 is longer ago than it feels. No, it was like 10 years ago, Will. It was 30 years ago. No, it was not. It was. And people were getting married younger on average than now, and after shorter periods of time on average than now. Okay, that's fair. And I think this would still be kind of fast for that period, especially for people that young. But I think a good point in the movie, for example, is when George is like, she's too young to get married. And Diane Keaton says, I was a year younger than she was when we got married. I was her age when I gave birth. Sort of add- that shook okay. me. Okay, right, I think yeah. in a different time, it is believable. Yeah, it still feels fast because sure. otherwise the drama wouldn't happen. Right, you would think they wouldn't be having the issues of like he gave me a blender, this is over, yeah. kind of situation, which is itself a dramatic overreaction. I think. <laughs> yes, because you would think that they have communicated enough about their feelings about like gender roles in a marriage that she wouldn't just have to go based on having been given a blender. Right. So given all that, where would you rank this on our 10 point scale where zero means you believe none of it and 10 means you believe all of it? I'm thinking maybe a six. I I was leaning towards like a seven. This is a seven for me. Okay. Yeah, I think it is pretty believable. And there's just a little bit of a timeline silliness here. Sure. Do you find our romantic leads dateable, Fiona? Absolutely not. (laughs) Brian, like I said, he's basically a walking mannequin. And Annie, I just think, is not Isn't a walking mannequin a robot? Sure. (laughs) Brian, Brian's got nothing going on. He's got no personality. He's too boring to be a robot. Yeah. He he is nothing. So he's not dateable. Annie is too immature, so no, neither of them are to me. Yeah, I agree with you. I think with some time, Annie might develop into a dateable person, but she's a little too 22. Agreed. Yeah. I'm a big fan of people getting married after their frontal lobes have fully developed. Agreed. If you did have to choose one person in this movie to date, who would you pick? I think it's Diane Keaton's character, because she's supportive, and she has a nice house. And She's a nice 90s mom. Yeah, what more do you want? There's well, really nothing nothing the matter with her. Mark, what about B.D. Wong? Uh- <laughs> I was so on the fence. Because he is a lot, but he's not nearly at Franck levels. Right. He's just excited about his job and very attractive. But he still might be a little too much. 
I felt like he was a compelling option and worthy of consideration. Worthy of consideration. His attractiveness definitely helps, but he might be still a little too much. I was going to go with Diane Keaton. It's hard for me not to go with Diane Keaton. You have to. She's the clear answer. Yeah. Do you think that Annie and Brian... You got his name. We'll stay together. I got there. It's so milk toast. Sometimes I forget <laughs> which one it is. I mean, again, he literally in the second movie is mostly just gone. They could. I'm, I don't think they don't stay together. So by law of double negatives, <laughs> you do think they stay together. Yes, but it's kind of like a, uh, yeah, probably. Their fight over the blender was so much that it leads me to say they might evolve into different people and drift apart, but I feel like they could also develop into mature people together. Yeah. It's hard for me to say with this one. If I'm putting money on it, I think they stay together. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think it's possible, strongly, strongly possible that they would split up. Yeah. I would believe either one. Now, Fiona. Yes. Many of the films we have covered for this podcast have been adapted into stage musicals. Do you think this should happen with Father of the Bride? I think it could be kind of fun. I think they could do a whole, like, they could do some sort of extravagant scene for the wedding. I think you would get some interesting songs, maybe from different people's perspectives. I don't know. I think it could work. Mark, what do you think? Um, I think it could be done. I don't think it should be done. Okay. Well, that's your opinion. Let me guess. It already is. It has not been done. In 2011. But it's in development. <laughs> I, I can't tell if it is still in development. In 2011, Disney Theatrical announced a bunch of new productions. So, for example, that's when they announced the Freaky Friday musical, which has come into existence. But at the same time, they also announced a Father of the Bride musical, which so far has not manifested, but it still could happen. Who wants to make a trip to Broadway when it's out? <laughs> Well, I think, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, the pandemic has screwed with the Broadway debut of Back to the Future, the musical, which would have been a nice thing to include in our two-hour episode. Oh. All right. I think we've covered the father of the bride sufficiently. All right. Well, next week, we will be covering one of my favorite movies from when I was growing up. Not that it was released when I was growing up, but I had it on VHS. Uh, the Marx Brothers movie, Animal Crackers. Turns out Will is 90 years old. <laughs> Just like 1991, I'm further back than you thought. Oh, no. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions or both at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show. Last question, Fiona. Fifi Fierce. Yes. Hashtag Fifi Fierce. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from Father of the Bride? If you're going to give someone a blender as a gift, maybe put a little note on it that says, this is not a sign of the patriarchy. I just know you like smoothies. I mean, you could also just write for your smoothies. True. Yeah, like a card, a card would do that job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a picture of a smoothie. Ooh. Or, like, or what some did she smoothie make smoothie? ingredients. She like, yeah, I was going to say, like, didn't she make, like, banana smoothies or something? Like, a bunch of bananas with it. Yeah. My advice, if you see a pretentious enough movie, you'll find someone as pretentious as you. <laughs> Not that bringing a baby is actually pretentious, but the way they talk about it, ugh. Yeah. Um, my advice would be, 
it's okay to tell your partner when they just need to let something go, like Diane Keaton does with George. <laughs> we forgot to discuss the fact that he ends up in jail at one point. Oh my god. I totally forgot he was in jail and Diane Keaton threatened to keep him there unless yeah. he paid for the wedding. Yeah, that had entirely flown my mind. And the joke in it is that like even the like officer in the prison knows how much the wedding costs because Georgia talks about it to everyone. Yes. That was a good joke. Yeah. Yeah. Bye! <laughs> oh, wait, we have to do the tagline. I thought we'd said that. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about Roman. Bye! Bye! Bye. <laughs>